on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on what was supposed to be a rainy day in Auburn, Alabama. But the rain has since held off. We'll see if that remains to be the case. I know my least got baseball games got canceled for today. Seems like Auburn High is still scheduled to be at Central. Uh, So we'll see if that holds up. But again, hope you're all doing well on this Thursday, April 13th, 2020. 23 this is on the line the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back i'm jacob goins joining me as always is carter bird and we have Lindsay crosby in studio again this week he's joining us once again i guess we uh we must be doing okay because he agrees to come back when we ask him and so Lindsay, hope you're doing well man and gentlemen again no rain in the forecast so baseball should be played just about everywhere Yep, it's been a, a day games are back today. Yesterday was a weird game with no daytime baseball, which is never good. Uh, but was able to watch a little bit of the Rays continuing to go for, uh, you know, to just not win, lose games in 2023. That was fun and uh, happy to be here and talk baseball all day. Well, lots of, yeah, lots of baseball to talk about. You'll join us here for the entire first hour. We'll talk uh, Atlanta Braves. We'll talk some of those rule changes again because. We have some examples that you brought us in the studio of some of those, and then we'll talk Auburn baseball as well. And so uh, exciting times uh, with baseball rolling on, and uh, the Braves seem to be doing Braves things, and they they struggled in a series with a team they shouldn't have, but they are getting out of it, it seems like, with the Cincinnati Reds. But what can you tell the listeners if they haven't been keeping up with the Braves, or even if they have, what's going on with this team right now? So the Braves have had more guys than they should have injured recently. Michael Harris, the center fielder, has been on the injured list with a back issue. Max Freed came out of his opening day start with a hamstring issue. He hasn't made it back. Catcher Travis Darno, who's been one of your hottest bats in the lineup, he's been out on the concussion IL. And Atlanta, Atlanta's pitchers do enough to keep the Braves in the games, and they win all three games this week. They get a walk-off. Sean Murphy has absolutely... A great homestand, six for 22, draws double digit walks, two home runs, uh, walk off hit one of those games. And you're, you, you have seven or eight positions on the field settled. We've talked before about left field. You kind of had to figure out what to do in left field between Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna. And the Ozuna situation has gotten even worse. Uh, so, Marcelo Zuna for DH at Atlanta right now is hitting below 100 it's so bad it's so bad and i've got some fun stats for you here marcel oh, I ozuna's OPS. i don't think they're going to be fun if i had to guess yes. marcel ozuna's ops this year is 445 that's on base plus slugging for you know for those you know so it's batting average on base and slugging he's his ops is 445 max freed his career ops a pitcher by trade is 542 oh my gosh so max freed is hitting better, uh, well, has hit better in his career than Marcelo Zuna is hitting this year. Uh, there is, Marcelo Zuna has a remarkable stat line that is just like, I don't get, okay, I'm going to give you two players. You tell me which one of these is the professional hitter and which one of these is the DH. Oh, gosh. Okay. 
Player one, 36 at-bats, .083 batting average, two home runs, two RBIs, OPS of 457. Player two, 32 at-bats, 219 batting average, two home runs, six RBIs, 656 OPS. Which one is the designated hitter and which one is the pitcher? Unfortunately, I I think I know the answer. And so yeah, the worst I'll let, one. I'll let Jacob answer. <laughs> Go ahead, Lindsay. Player one, the worst one. That is the designated hitter for the Atlanta Braves. Oh. Uh, number two, that is pitcher Waskar Yanoa from 2021. Oh my gosh, that is just uh, what's happening. I mean, it's it is it's. It's just baffling to see that you have a guy who is supposed to be a solid hitter, a power hitter for the Atlanta Braves, who they've put some money into. It's just not working out to start this season. He's owed $32 million on the final two years of his deal. The issue that you have, and I saw this before the Cincinnati series. I haven't gone back and up it since then. But before the Cincinnati series, he had one of the lowest percentages of contact made in the strike zone. I mean, it was, I want to say it was 58%, maybe. The MLB average is closer to 80%. So, yes, he's always struggled with chase, you know, sliders down and away, get a lot of guys, that's a thing. Uh, He's always struggled with elevated fastballs, a lot of guys struggle with that. But in this case, he's struggling to hit balls in the strike zone. And for a guy who's already, his defense has already regressed to the point where he's a liability in left field, and he can only be a DH now. His offensive performance, because he can't make contact with balls in the zone, has regressed to the point where he's absolutely a liability. The Braves tried to trade him last year. They reached out to the Arizona Diamondbacks to go get Madison Bumgarner, the veteran who's owed a bunch of money and wasn't very good in Arizona last year. And they reached out to the Nationals in the division to try to get Patrick Corbin, who I think led all of baseball in losses as a pitcher last year, and has owed a ton of money as well. And both of those two teams said no. You're at the point where you have to eat $32 million and get rid of Marcelo Zuna. He's genuinely hurting this team. And if I had to guess, as you start getting some of these guys back, you get a Travis Darno back, you get a Michael Harris back, and you need some sort of roster spot to open up, I, I have a suspicion they may finally pull the plug on Marcelo Zuna. Because the goal here was give him playtime in spring, get his back going, and try to just get anything for him. Get somebody to take the money. We don't even need an asset back. Just take the money. Right. And you're at the point now where even if he starts hitting now, nobody's going to trade for him. No. Well, it seems like it seems like they all know. Like, everybody knows what he is. And, yeah. and so they're they're not stupid, right? I mean, they these teams understand what Marcelo Zuna is and the money that is attached to him. So, yeah. Do I you just, know what he is? He's a bum. He's a highly paid bum. That's what he is. Wow. I uh, like that. <laughs> offensively, he's a bum. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's no other way around it. It's just it. been historically bad mm-hmm. for Marcelo Zuna with the Atlanta Braves. But outside of Ozuna, oh, yeah. the Braves are doing just fine offensively. Oh, my gosh. They are doing fantastic. Uh, so right now, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. is... On, is on pace to hit 25 home runs, which is a little bit lower than we thought he would be, and steal 75 bases, which is a little <laughs> bit higher gracious. than we thought he would be. But it feels like there's plenty of time for the home runs to pick up a little bit, for the uh, for the steals probably to normalize to a more normal uh, setting. And so very much on track for a 40-40 year. And the top of the lineup is just absolutely raking. Mm-hmm. Austin mm-hmm. Riley, Matt Olson. 
the hard hit rate for these guys is absurd. They're continuing to crush the ball. And you're getting contributions from places you didn't necessarily think you would be. Uh, Orlando Arcia, starting shortstop. You would have been happy if he just was in there every day, batting ninth, and he's picking it, and whatever you get at the plate is fine. He's hitting walk-off ball. He has like the fourth highest batting average on this team right now. It's uh, just about everything's working, with the exception of your production from left field and DH, and Ozzie Albee's still getting back to full health after the offseason shoulder issue. And I'll remind folks who kind of forget, he does have a pin in his elbow. He broke his elbow when he was in Gwinnett. That's what prompted the move from shortstop to second base. And he said it's been bothering him a little bit recently. You may see something after the season where he goes and gets that fixed. But other than that, everything's pretty much clicking offensively. And now Atlanta is getting guys back. Kyle Wright came back. A little bit rusty, but Kyle Wright came back. This is the first series coming up this weekend I can think of in a while where you didn't have three or at least one TBA in there. Mm-hmm. You've got Charlie Morton, you've got Bryce Elder, you've got Kyle Wright. You know who your starters are, which is better than we had before. Yeah, exactly. And the Braves are 9-4 and four so far this season. They come off of the sweep over the Cincinnati Reds. They had to earn it, though. All of those one-run victories over a Red yep. squad that just hasn't been all that over the past couple of years. Yeah, and, and it's something where the Reds pitching is much improved. Uh, complete credit to the scouting job that they've done between a Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo and Graham Ashcraft. They've got a lot of young pitchers, and it's something where the public perception of the Reds is, oh yeah, they lost 100 plus games, they're still not that great, but they are offensively better than we give them credit. I'm sorry, not offensively, pitching-wise, better than we give them credit for, and so it doesn't surprise me that these were close wins. I would have loved a blowout, yeah. Uh, but when you have a, a lineup like you do that's getting zero con- negative contributions from Marcelo Zuna and some guys like that, as well as the injuries you've had, Sam Hilliard's been your everyday center fielder for this whole series, got a hit in almost every game. But it's just something where you got to be happy. The, the fact the team can get it done in close game situations, uh, that's always been a thing that we assumed was kind of fluky, that had a lot of variance from year to year. But this team somehow is consistently above average at coming back and winning those close games. And so it's starting to believe that that's, no, that's a core tenet of this team is is the ability to come back and win a close game. When you when you look at this Braves-DH situation with Marcelo Zuna, who we were just talking about, what do you attribute to the fact that, I mean, this is a guy who's a multi-time All-Star. Uh, he, in 2020, in the short season, he hit well over 300, finished mm-hmm. sixth in the MVP race. He's a two-time Silver Slugger, like, what do we attribute this just fall off a cliff that we've seen over the last three years? Uh, part of it to me, just from what I've seen, it feels like some of it's physical conditioning. He's not in the same shape that he was earlier in his career. And so because of that, he's he's not as able to catch up to a pitch inside. You know, he's not as, as able to hold up through the course of a season. And then part of it, too, is I think it's one of those situations where a guy got paid He's got off the field issues that have been a distraction. No doubt, mm-hmm. he was arrested. You know, he was arrested. Was it? I think twice. Uh, once was after he broke his fingers. He had a there was a domestic violence call to his house. Uh, those there was no wasn't charges there, filed there. And there then once story, was a DUI. Wasn't didn't he show up to spring training one year with a concussion late because he something happened and he got hit with a frying pan or something? Yes, he had uh, he had something thrown at his head by his, um, at the time, spouse. I believe they are still together but not married. It's a whole thing. But it's it kind of feels like it's a, it's a confluence of factors of, you know, some bad physical development, of 
maybe a little bit of a lack of the hunger and mindset because you've got that check coming in and then some off the field stuff that has been a distraction as well as maybe not quite the right work ethic it was we all thought signing him was the right decision after 2020 and in hindsight it wasn't at the time we were all happy I was happy about it we were all happy about it we thought we were going to get the 2020 Marcelo Zuna who was on a one-year deal and was hungry to get paid and once he got paid he's been a different player which you see that I mean you see that at times across MLB across professional sports in general I mean it's just sometimes it's just how it goes and and yeah Ozuna has just been it it's just turned into a situation that's just not it's not not only is it not benefiting the Braves it's hurting the Braves and with his performance on and off the field as well but we're joined by Lindsey Crosby here in the studio talking all things baseball he's been joining us uh, about once a week here since baseball got underway as the Braves again nine and four and three of those four losses were in that just brutal series against the Padres the the first series at home of the year for the Braves they win that opening game against the Padres right they beat them Mm -hmm. seven to six they drop the next three straight I think it was good to see them bounce back against the Reds and get the series sweep but overall I mean what in your mind what happened in that Padres series and how were they able to bounce back against the Reds this week so it's something where it's quality of competition and then also Atlanta was losing guys during that series. And I think that there is a mental toll when Michael Harris goes down during the series, when Travis Darno goes down during the series. And so you don't quite have the depth. You don't quite have uh, things in place. You know, you have guys in the organization, but you lose Michael Harris and it takes a day and a half for Eli White to be available to play in the next game because he's got to pack his stuff up in Gwinnett. You have to follow the transaction. He has to actually get there and all that. So I think there was a little bit of that and a little bit of just not necessarily being prepared, especially coming off of playing the Nationals, being prepared for the better quality pitching that you were going to face and the better quality of the hitters. There's a little bit... When you when you play a team, like you, you go through spring training, and spring training's a different like yes, they're competing, but it's a different environment. The 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 competitiveness isn't quite there, the intensity isn't quite there. The and games the, don't technically matter. They don't the games <laughs> like, do not matter. Yeah. The stats don't even really matter that much either. Exactly. You see guys who perform well and then not make the team. Uh, but you go then you go to Washington and you play a safe to say pretty bad nationals team and you easily kind of dominate them for three days. It makes it tough to ramp up the intensity for a series like the Padres where you haven't really, this is your first real test of the calendar year. So I kind of attribute some of it to that, some of it to the injuries, and some of it to just getting in holes from some of these young pitchers and not necessarily being uh, in full midseason form to climb back out of them. You know, you, you, you saw Jared Schuster struggle in his start. You saw Dylan Dodd get knocked around a little bit. So just being behind some of these pitchers, Charlie Morton was kind of getting back into his midseason form mm-hmm. from a, a spring training. He's 39 now or so, so you know he's ancient in baseball terms. Uh, I say that as somebody who's close to that age myself, so it's <laughs> fine. But you just see these guys trying to get into you know the first real challenge of the entire year and not quite having all of the horses in the stable to to catch up to it and. Coming back, doing what they did against the Reds, I think next week against the Padres will be a much better, uh, a, a much better showing of where the Braves really are as compared to that first series. And I'd probably hope that they would go two and two in that next series, if not a win in San Diego, a three-one series win. When you when you look at the injuries 
what is the status of everybody that's kind of gotten banged up? We know Iglesias and and um, you've had Freed, uh, Michael Harris. You saw Arcia get hit with a pitch and exit the game the other mm-hmm. day. I mean, what is the status of all of these injuries, and yeah. when should we expect to see this Braves team finally back at full strength? Yeah, so the Braves have said that uh, Michael Harris isn't feeling the soreness. He is uh, scheduled to travel with the team on this road trip. They haven't said whether he'll be uh, activated or not, but he's scheduled to travel with the team on the road trip. Max Freed has been doing uh, throwing, not uh, not off the mound, but throwing from flat ground, as well as doing infield drills. Okay. You know, like covering first base, you know, things like that. And so they think he will be able to be activated as soon as his IL stint is up without needing a rehab start. Uh, Travis Darnot is the one we don't really know about. They haven't said a lot about it. Uh, he he has been at the park getting treatment, things like that, but he's not been in the dugout because concussion, you're always nervous about uh, you know light and sounds, and he this is his fourth concussion of his career, so obviously concerns are a little higher there. We don't have a timeline on him, but um, Orlando Arcia left the game on Wednesday, 98-minor fastball to the uh, to the hand. X-rays were negative after the game. He said after the game uh, he felt okay. There was some bruising. It was sore, but they didn't think anything was was broken. If I had to guess, we may see him held out of Friday's game and back on Saturday. You do have, obviously, after traveling, after flying, there's always you know swelling and the blood flow kind of stuff goes along with that, but you may see him miss a game or so. He should be fine and not miss, not injured list time, though, on him. And then Rizal Iglesias, he, he had a setback. He is still not throwing, so he has okay, had a setback. Okay. He'll be out a little bit longer. Uh, you the got Kyle Wright there, there too, I guess. Kyle Wright is back. He was activated oh, for the Red Series. Yeah. Apologies. Yeah, so Iglesias is the only one that we don't have a date on. Mm-hmm. Darno could be. He's eligible to come off as soon as this weekend. We don't know on him, but the rest of them should be back fairly soon and shouldn't need, uh, shouldn't need rehab stints. Before we get to break, am I the only one that in sports, when somebody goes to get an x-ray and the notification comes through that it came back negative, I always think, I I can never get my brain wrapped around It's like, yeah, x-rays came back negative, but like, it's like... It's like, no, there's bones there. Right. It's like, oh, wait, so that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't know. That always, it always just confuses me how they, the terminology they use for that. It always just throws me off. But that's good to know that it seems like most of the Braves are are on the short list trying to get back onto the field. But we'll take our first break here in hour number one. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby for all of this first hour, talking all things baseball. When we come back, want to talk about the rules changes that we previewed before the season and a particular one with the different baseballs being used in the minor leagues. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. It's a play too. Back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in the studio and want to get into a couple of things with the rules changes in baseball because a couple of them have been pretty drastic. And before we get to this baseball, the actual baseball situation, we've seen the pitch clock in MLB and the games have been significantly shorter. We're going on 30 minutes shorter on average in the MLB right now. Yes, and they're they're getting shorter from month to month. So 2022, your average game time was three hours and three minutes. And only about 4% of games were done in less than two and a half hours. Right now, 
uh, for the entire year, your average game time is two hours and 37 minutes. Wow. But in March, it was 242. In April, it came down to 236. It's getting faster. Uh, Do we know why? uh, A lot of that is just guys getting more accustomed to it, getting into the groove, because a lot of the pushback has been the pitchers. And the pitchers not necessarily being up with that tempo. Max Scherzer has gone on the record talking about how uh, older pitchers like him, sometimes it's hard for them to collect themselves and be ready for the next pitch. And so as guys are getting more used to it, they're figuring out how to adjust what they do to be okay with it. We're we're now at the point, 33% of all games are done in less than two and a half hours. I watched, I watched a Sandy Alcantara start that was two hours and one minute. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, That's unbelievable. Whereas the flip side is games over three and a half hours. In 2022, it was 18.7% of them were over three and a half hours. This year so far, I don't have the exact number of how many, but 0.6% have gone over three and a half hours. That's exactly what they were looking for. Yes. That's exactly what they were trying to do. And and Rob Manfred has like talked about this the other day. He was talking to some business folks. It was like a, it was some sort of business meeting around for the vendors. And he said, we're noticing no real change to concessions. Concession sales are virtually the same. We've partnered with a company that uses cameras and AI to look at the size of the crowds. And what we've noticed from last year to this year is the crowd is still there in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. Because for the most part, people just kind of mentally budget, I've got two and a half hours for this or whatever. And so uh, it under the old timing, that two and a half hours would be up in the seventh inning and they would leave. And now that's getting them all the way to the very end of the game. Which, in most people, are going to stay in a close game, right? Yeah. If, it's, if, yeah. if you can get past that, what, seventh inning and it's close, they're going to say, okay, well, let's hang on for another 30 minutes yeah. and see if our team wins this thing. If I budgeted two and a half hours and that two and a half hours runs out and it's the, the bottom of the eighth, I'm not leaving right. and, unless it's a 15 run game and it, just me I'm not leaving anyway but <laughs> most, most <laughs> people fair. yeah but most people are going to stick around if it's somewhat close and so they're seeing concession sales are the exact same now the flip side of that is you've seen some uh, some teams announced just recently that they're going to extend alcohol sales out later. I was going to bring that up. Uh, yeah, I think six teams announced they were going to extend them out. Some of them have said to like the end of the 8th versus the end of the 7th or end of the 6th. The Astros said, we're just going to sell it for three hours after the game starts. So if the game ends in two and a half, you can hang out in the stadium and drink some more. If, you know, if, the, if the game runs three and a half hours long, at three hours, we're cutting it off. And it's just kind of interesting to see the response to that, I think a Phillies pitcher went on the record as yes. saying that he didn't like the idea of them extending alcohol sales because that got you closer to when the game was over. You had just drank a beer and now the game's going to end in 20 more minutes. Yeah, it's Matt Strom from the Phillies. I saw this today and I'm glad you said that because I was going to bring that up. And he talked about, and it makes sense. I mean, he talked about how if you're extending the alcohol sales further into the game, then people are going to be drinking and then driving sooner than mm-hmm. what they have been. And so that is a legitimate yeah. concern, in my opinion. But at the same time, you know why these stadiums are doing it because if the game is being shortened from, let's say, that three hour mark to the two and a half hour mark, you're losing 30 minutes of of concession sales. And that's not just beer. That is food and, and even merchandise and stuff like that. So from the profit side and the sales side, you understand it. But the safety concerns are definitely there. Yeah. And 
the good news is the preliminary info that we have both from the minors last year and from the majors this year is that they haven't really seen a significant change to concessions and I think this is more of a being proactive and making sure that as we get farther into the season they don't start to lose money as these games continue to be a little bit shorter and a little bit shorter especially some of these games that blow by in two hours when you just have two good pitchers who are striking everybody out these games will fly by but uh, it is an interesting conversation and to me, I've never gone to a baseball game where the game ended and I got to my car in less than 20-something minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there's Fair. a little bit of of this is a concern, but at the same time, it's and like as long as people are behaving correctly, it doesn't end up being a problem. It's yes. a concern, yes, but it's not necessarily a problem yet. And some of these stadiums are doing things where, for instance, the vendors the, the, the vendors that are walking down up and down the aisles, they're still cutting off at the, at the old time. Okay. You have to go to the stand to get it, and oftentimes you miss a whole inning anyway. So That's actually fair. And then think about how long it takes to get out of the parking lot, too. Like yeah. Those are all good notes, but at the same time, yeah, the safety concern is still there. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in the studio. We'll talk about the change in baseballs and then get into some Auburn baseball conversation when we come back. Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Tuesday or the Thursday, wow, Thursday edition of wow, On the Line. Two full days off. Yeah, that is, I mean, same starting letter. Though. Last time I was here, I was here on Tuesday. I yeah, think I, that's, yeah what happened. that's exactly what happened. I got you. I got you here. Wow. That's, that's Isn't it great you. when your guest covers for you like that? Yeah, that's why we have him on. I mean, if I slip up, Lindsay's there to make up for it. That's how this thing goes. But yes, Lindsay Crosby joining us in the studio here for hour number one. We're talking all things baseball. And Lindsay, before we get back to our conversation, plug everything you got going on because i made the joke last time and it's really not a joke anymore you're doing 15 different things and 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 if i try to do it i'll get them wrong and so plug everything you got going on man okay if you remember one thing it's the twitter account is at crosby baseball everything runs through there but the show locked in mlb prospects the number one daily minor league baseball podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube the uh auburn baseball writing auburndaily.com we've got that coming a little bit later folks don't worry and then the Atlanta Braves, bravestoday.com. I am the editor-in-chief. We, uh, we cover every single game completely free as thoroughly as we can. Well, yeah, I know you're doing a lot, and, and that's why we bring you on, because you are uh, the baseball guy here in town, and that's why we bring you on. And we're talking all these different rules changes, and we are going to talk some Auburn baseball coming up in a few minutes. But one other thing I wanted to get to, because you brought us some examples here in the yes. studio, and I'm, I'm currently holding them, and I've been kind of messing with it. The difference in baseballs. You talked about it a few weeks ago here on the show, and this original baseball that they're using in the minors right now yeah. is the typical, your typical baseball, right? It's more of the slick feel to it. It's mm-hmm. just your typical baseball. But this new one that they're using is it's got more grip to it. And it's soft is not the right word, I don't think, but it is softer to the touch. And it is it's got more grip. It feels more like leather. I think it almost to to give our listeners the best the best way I can put it, it almost feels like a football texture. What's the difference in these two baseballs right now? Okay, so backstory here. I was in Montgomery last night, Double A Biscuits versus the Tennessee Smokies. So it's Rays versus Cubs. I was a guest of the Cubs affiliates, sitting down right next to the dugout. 
uh, and got this ball from them. In 2021, when minor league baseball came back, the first ball that you have, uh, that is the ball that minor league baseball was using. So the major league ball was used in AAA, and then AA down, they used this ball, made by Rawlings, like they all are, but mass-produced in China. Uh, It comes out of the box. It's very slick. They rub it down with that Delaware mud that's a trade secret. They don't share that. So that's the first ball. Uh, Last year, they switched AA. So AA and AAA are now both using the major league ball. And then this year is the new one. And the difference in these two is, is rather than you getting it out of the box and it's slick and you rub it up with the mud... They have pre-applied a, uh, they, they call it a, a grip-enhanced baseball. It's, it's a tacky substance that they have made in conjunction with Dow Chemical. And the idea of it is it feels, so it feels different when you grab it when your hands are dry. My wife said the new one feels like it's suede, whereas the old one feels like it's, it's like a slick leather. Mm-hmm. And then your football analogy was really good. Are the seams higher on this one? They feel higher. So the seams on the MLB ball are higher than the seams on the old minor league ball. And that was one of the reasons in 2021 they switched, the, they switched AA to using the major league balls because the, the natural variations in the hand production – of the MLB ball versus the machine production of the double A and, and lower ball meant that the balls were different. The seams are higher on the MLB one, and it's hard for pitchers to adjust when they went from double A to the bigs. Nobody goes from single A to the bigs, so it wasn't a big deal, but they would go from double A to the bigs and they get to the big leagues and they have a new baseball. So now double A uses the MLB ball. But this new grip enhanced ball is when your hands get wet. So you have sweat on your hand or whatever, you can like the grip is much better. The idea behind this is baseball dealt with the sticky stuff crackdown and all of that. So they said, we're going to give you a ball that has a substance already applied to help you grip it so that you'd have no need to do uh, rosin and sunscreen and sticky stuff and illegal substances, we can just say, rather than letting you use these things, but not those things, we're just going to say you can't do anything. So last night, there was no rosin bag on the mound. The umpires were checking the pitchers uh, just about every other inning, checking their hands, checking you know their belts, their, their arms, their hats, everywhere to make sure there was nothing else on there. But the AA Southern League is the only league in baseball right now that is using this new ball. And I think that I'm the first prospect person to get one of those balls. So tomorrow's show, we spend... Exclusive. (laughs) A scoop, yeah. So tomorrow's show for Locked on Movie Prospects, we spend about eight or so minutes talking about this baseball and why it's different and uh, pictures of the ball on the screen and all that kind of stuff. So if you you want to check that out, that comes out tomorrow morning anywhere you get your podcasts. It's just... It's crazy that it just how different it truly feels and how yeah. different it I mean the grip is just unbelievably different and 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 I and I think not only will this affect pitchers but think about the guys in the field making plays. Think about a barehanded player. Think about a, a right fielder trying to gun mm-hmm. somebody down at home. I mean, if you get a little extra grip, a little extra juice behind that thing, you're going to see some more plays be made in the field. The big thing to me is the third baseman who does the barehanded grab and throw to first on the slow oh, roller. Yeah. That's yeah. probably the biggest defensive application of this ball. 
the guys I talked to last night, I didn't talk to a lot of the pitchers because they didn't have a great night. And it was there was a bunch of home runs hit last night. They were in great moods. But a lot of the fielders said they didn't really have an issue with it because they don't have the ball for long enough to really have right. that affect them that much. They're not trying to be as exact. Now, the catchers have done more work with this ball because they're trying to get throws to be dead on the bag at second base. Yes. And I did notice even some top prospect catchers last night had trouble throwing out some base dealers. Uh, it was a pretty successful night of stealing. Part of that goes back to uh, they further restricted pickoffs in the minors mm-hmm. this year. Uh, but it's really a pitcher thing. And I, we don't quite know how like the overall numbers yet. We haven't had enough of a sample size for all of the numbers to normalize, but that's definitely something that prospect people, the prospect apparatus, as I call it, we are watching the AA Southern League to see the guys who do a bunch of breaking stuff, the guys who have a lot of things that rely on spin and, mm-hmm. uh, and a grip to see what happens to their numbers this year at the end of the first half when this ball is supposed to be done. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about... Even with a fastball, if you're able to get that RPM up, you get the, uh, I guess, the vertical break or the Mm -hmm. lack of it where it stays truer for longer. I'm curious, and of course, this is going to take way more data than kind of like you were saying with some of the other stuff, but I go back to this ball being easier to grip. You don't have to grip it as tightly. Mm -hmm. I go back to Tyler Glasnow's statements when they cracked down in the middle of the year on substances mm-hmm. and then he blew out his elbow the fact that they're able to relax more are we going to do you think we're going to see fewer elbow and arm injuries out of pitchers because it's easier just to hold the ball you don't have to grip it as hard you don't have to because glass now attributed it to what he's having to use muscles he never used before for for his slider yeah he was yeah. having to to grip harder and Throwing a baseball puts the stress on the UCL and the elbow, but yep. when you grip it harder, he had like a forearm issue. Yeah, like and the then, tendons in there yeah. and all that. Yeah. And then when he compensated for that, that's where he he thinks the, the UCL injury came from. And I don't think we'll we'll have definitive data that says that is definitely what it is because there's too many variables, right? There's the pitch clock too. We saw a thing Spencer Strider talked about. He wasn't uh, exerting as hard per pitch because he was trying to make sure he had time to gather his breath before the next one and go deeper into games. There's a lot of variables, but I do think that there is something to the fact of, one, guys don't have to do that strain as much. I mean, I threw one of these in my backyard today, and I was like, oh, that was easy. Yeah. Uh, but then also just the fact that you don't have to deal with the extra substances that can make the pitches even harder to hit because uh, – and. To bring it back to Auburn baseball, Darren Schoenrock had a good point, and I was talking to him preseason about Chase Alsup, who throws incredibly hard for Auburn baseball. He said, you know, he's like, Darren said, I've never had the ability in my life to throw 97 miles an hour. But if I could throw 97 miles an hour, it'd be really hard to not try to throw 99 miles an hour. Yeah. And so when you have the, the extra enhanced grip from the sticky stuff, uh, guys don't really talk about letting it like taking anything off of it because they're like i'm just going to make the stuff better and so i think if you have a grip enhanced baseball but no other ways to enhance the grip you just have this tacky ball the same amount of effort can probably get a little bit better performance without having to do anything extra and overthrowing which can cause the injury there's so much that goes into this and it it, it blows my mind every time we bring you in because you talk about things that i just don't even think about when it comes to the game of baseball with changes like this one more question on this before we talk a little auburn baseball 
how far will this new baseball go? And what I mean by that is, to what level will we see this get to? Is this going to be the universal baseball in the next five years? Or do you think it it may just be an experiment? So my speculation is, if it was truly an experiment that they didn't necessarily know if they'd enact, they wouldn't have done it in double A. They have what they call partner leagues. It's, it's independent ball. Uh, it's like the Frontier League and stuff. They're affiliated with MLB. The Atlantic League is one of these two. And MLB sends some of their rule changes there. So like when they moved the mound back, they physically moved the mound back. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an affiliated baseball. It was in the, the, the Atlantic League. And so the fact that they're trying this in double A tells me the plan is to make this the new baseball. Uh, they did it in the first half. And the, as of now, the, the setup is the second half of the year will go back to the standard baseballs. I think they set it up like that so that if it works and there's good reports about it, they can just say the whole second half will keep using these baseballs. And then I'm assuming they'll, they'll probably do a full year trial in the full minors before they make it the Major League Baseball. So my my assumption would be if it goes well here... Double uh, A will finish out the year using these baseballs. Maybe they'll spread it to all of Double A, not just the Southern League. Mm-hmm. And then twenty four, all of the minors would have them before twenty five. It's the MLB ball. That's kind of the way they like to do it. They try it one place first. If it works there, they try it in all of the minors. If it works there, they take it to MLB. Got you. Interesting. So we're we're about two years out from potentially it being the major league. Baseball. I would guess it being two years out. And the other reason for that too is now there is uh, something in the minor league CBA about rule changes having. To be at least discussed with the players, they don't. The players don't get to, to sign off on that. Right, I remember you but saying that. There's a process yeah. now where the the, they, the minors at least have a say in the rule changes, so that slows it down too. I would guess that would be a twenty uh, a twenty five thing, whereas the automated balls and strikes that's in AAA right now. Mm-hmm. I would guess some form of that would be in the big leagues next year, probably the challenge system. So excited for that! Cannot wait for that. Just interesting and just blows my mind talking about these different things that affect the game of baseball so much that the average fan and myself included just wouldn't think about and think that it impacts the game of baseball. Let's take a break. We'll come back and wrap up hour number one. We'll talk Auburn baseball, see where they're at as they head to Tuscaloosa this weekend for a series against Alabama. Lindsey Crosby joining us in studio as we wrap up hour number one on the other side. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334 321 1390 or toll free at 888 382 7502. Wrapping up our number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, Jacob Go with Carter Bird. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby for the next few minutes here in our number one, talking all things baseball. We've talked MLB, the Braves, and some of the rules changes with games being at least a half an hour shorter on average. The new baseballs they're testing out in some of these smaller minor league conferences. But let's talk Auburn baseball really, really quick. I know it hasn't been the season that Auburn fans were wanting. I know it hasn't been the season that we were wanting as uh, people that talk and cover this team. But Mm -hmm. It all boils down to the pitching is just not there right now. And the injuries have really, really hurt this team. And they're just running out of arms and just churning through the ones that they have. Yeah, and when you look at a lot of these Game 3s that Auburn has had, it's been a lot of, of, of scenarios, and Butch will, will admit this, they've run out of pitching. You go all the way back to the beginning of the season, Game 3 versus Indiana. You, you, you won the first two games, you lose Game 3 11-2. to uh, USC's a 12-12 tie. You got in a big hole early and had to come back and win that. Um, Arkansas, you, you, you kind of got shut out the whole thing. But the third game of Georgia, twenty-four to seven, big, you know, big game three. 
17 to 8 against Florida in game three. Here's a stat to kind of explain the state of Auburn pitching right now. The last seven games you've played against Power Five schools. So we're throwing out the midweek against UAB that you lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just talking the, the three games at Florida. You would go to Florida, you go one and two in that series. The three games against Texas AM, you go one and two in that series. And then the midweek loss to Georgia Tech. Seven games. Auburn has walked 65 batters in those seven games. Auburn pitching has walked 65 batters, and I believe only three of those walks were intentional. So that's 62 walks. And two of those games were were seven seven inning games. That's not a winning resume, I don't think. No, uh, that's not great. Mm. That is not great. And it's, it's just, it's like you said, injuries. When you lose a guy like Jacob Gonzalez, uh, Joseph Gonzalez, Jacob Gonzalez is the old Miss shortstop. <laughs> when you lose a guy like Joseph Gonzalez, it makes everybody take a new role in the, in the bullpen, a new role in the rotation. Mm-hmm. And so ev- it's a cascade effect. Everybody has to do more. You can't just pl- replace him with one guy when he's your ace. And because Auburn has struggled to get some of these young freshman pitchers up to speed where they can handle it in the SEC, like a... Uh, Drew Nelson struggled early. Zach Crotchfelt looked good early and then struggled a little bit later. Nelson's back in the lineup this weekend, starting on game two, I think. You And you've had issues where like veteran Tommy Sheehan wasn't able to give you as much as you wanted. You have issues where you move closer Will Cannon into a starting role. And so now uh, that's another hit to the bullpen because you have to find somebody else to take a higher leverage inning. And it's just Auburn's trying to piece it together with uh, with... Not enough guys. Yeah, they, they just, the pitching's not good enough. Yeah, and I wrote this at Auburn Daily after the midweek loss because I was a little, I was frustrated. I'll be completely honest. I was frustrated about how bad the pitching looked, and it was such a tough way to lose. We talked about that. I mean, some of the worst ways to lose are walk off walks, uh, walk off balks, and then walk off grand slams. And yeah, that's what happened against Georgia Tech during the midweek. Walk off grand slam, but. The thing that gets me is the program put out a tweet on Monday before that game, and the tweet talked about how many games consecutively that Auburn had scored, I think, more than five. I want to say at the time it was five or more runs in 12 straight games. That's the longest streak since 2010. And now that is 13 straight games. They've scored at least five runs. Auburn has won six of those 13 games. If you are, If you can consistently put up five or six runs a game, you should be able to at least have a winning record. I know the SEC is tough, but it all comes back to the pitching, and the quality of the pitching hasn't been where they want it to be. And Butch has acknowledged that. He's been more, more upfront with, we have to be better. Like it was, it was early in the year, the focus was throwing strikes. The focus was, uh, you know, just get the ball over the plate. And now it's like, no, you have to be competitive with these pitches, and you're not competitive. Uh, of the, in that game, you had, again, 12 walks, 10 were intentional. Of the 13 hits, six were for extra bases. Mm. I mean, Butch Thompson says most extra base hits are thrown, not hit. It, it all comes back to pitching. Yeah, and with Auburn, it's just been it's been a tough stretch. And, and look, the season, it's not over. There are still good SEC series left. Now, there are some tough SEC series left on this schedule, but it's been a tough stretch for Auburn. You look back since that series at Florida where you win game one 10-1, to and then you drop the next two. Then you lose to UAB during the midweek. Then you come home, and you go one of two against Texas A&M in what was just a wacky series altogether. Then you go on the road, and 
lose to Georgia Tech on the walk-off Grand Slam. Mm -hmm. Lindsey, in the next minute or so, tell Auburn fans that are listening right now what should give them confidence in this team and this program as they head to Tuscaloosa for a three-game series this weekend? The confidence you should have is this offense has been able to make it happen late again and again. And even in some of these games that you have lost, Auburn's gotten a deficit early, and then the offense has come back to tie it up late, to take a lead late, and you just have gotten a little bit unlucky with some of this. Uh, the offense is good. Like the, the, the tweet was not wrong. The stat was not wrong. This is a good offense. You just need a little bit more from your pitching. You need some luck to break right. And Alabama is missing some of their key guys. Ben Hess is not available for this weekend. You're going up against Luke Holman on on, a, on Friday. Grayson Hit on Saturday. Uh, both guys that are, are gettable. You're going to have to have a good game. And Auburn has dealt with good pitchers before. Brandon Sprout for Florida, game one starter. He he is supposed to be a, probably a second-round pick in this upcoming draft this year. Auburn knocks him out early. Uh, Herson Waldrop, Auburn knocks him out early. Joe Caglione, Auburn walk, knocks him out early in that Florida series. Now, they only won one of those games. But Auburn's bats can make it happen. You just need the pitching to avoid barrels. You can give up hits. It's a good defense. You just need them to avoid barrels. And uh, the pitchers you have, you have Tommy Vale, you have Drew Nelson. They're guys that their whole game is, we're going to pitch to contact, but we're going to avoid a barrel. And if they can avoid barrels against Alabama, you have a chance to take the series, which you need to do because you um, you are, I think, 4-8 and eight in the conference. And so... Mm-hmm. You've got to do that because we're coming up on the SEC tournament pretty soon. Yes, and Auburn is in some desperation time uh, to get some wins if they even want to be playing in Hoover. And it's unfortunate that that's a legitimate conversation. Everybody assumes you're going to make it in because the Mississippi schools are bad, but you're one game ahead of Mississippi State in conference standings. They're mm-hmm. three and nine. You're four and eight after an abysmal start by that program. Yeah, you're only two ahead of Ole Miss. They're two and ten in the conference, and, and you're s- tied with Alabama. And this series all of a sudden really, really big. Yep. So you need to win this series to have the tiebreaker in conference against Dan, uh, against Alabama. Wow. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I know you'll be covering the series Auburn at Alabama this weekend. Lindsey Crosby, man, we appreciate you and your time every single week, brother. Always have great things to say. Hour one is in the book. Stay tuned. Hour number two with me and Carter coming up. Live on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying dry. Seems like it's been on and off rain here this afternoon. Sun is shining currently here in Auburn, and so hope you're all doing well. Seems like the weather may have held off for the most part. Uh, We'll see if that is the case. But hour number two is underway here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins, joined as always with Carter Burke. 
third. And if you missed any of our number one, Lindsey Crosby just walked out of the studio. He was in here the entire first hour. Uh, we had some fantastic conversations. I was talking about it during the break. It's always just a, a blast to bring Lindsey Crosby in the studio uh, to talk all things baseball. And I mean all things baseball. We talked about the Atlanta Braves how they have bounced back after their 1-3 record versus San Diego. Uh, They get the sweep over the Reds, so we talked about that a little bit. We also uh, talked about some of those rules changes that we had previewed before the season started. Lindsey actually brought us in two different baseballs that are being used in uh, certain leagues in the minors right now, trying to see if they want to change the, the texture of the baseball, so he brought those, and we talked about that a little bit. That was really interesting, and then uh, we were able to talk Auburn just a little bit as they hit the road to Tuscaloosa this weekend in desperate need of some SEC wins. So if you missed any of that from hour number one, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it at ESPNAU.com right after the show today. It'll be commercial free or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. But again, it's uh, weather that seems to be holding off and that's good news for Auburn High Baseball. As Scott Bagwell on the road right now heading towards central Phoenix City as the Auburn High Tigers take on Central in a doubleheader today. They lost last night in a heartbreaker. Uh, They had the bases loaded and they were down a few runs, just couldn't quite get the runs in to take that game from Central. But Auburn High on the road today at Central Phoenix City taking on the Red Devils. That'll be a 96-3 W. Lee. First game starts at 4.30. Again, 96-3 W. Lee. You can tune into that. Scott Bagwell will be on the call. But here's what's coming up here in hour number two. We'll talk uh, all things Auburn Athletics with recruiting some stuff going on. Uh, We'll Mm -hmm. talk about some recruiting notes from there, uh, some guys that are still talking about Auburn and some baseball, just a lot of things Auburn Athletics. And then coming up at 3.30, we have Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. He will join us in just about 30 minutes from now and talk all things SEC and get the his notes and thoughts from what's happening around the Southeastern Conference as basketball has wrapped up, football recruiting ramping up. Of course, the portal opens up on Saturday, so we'll get his thoughts on where Auburn could go in the transfer portal and where we may see some other SEC schools go as well. But phone lines are open here at hour number two. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. That number again, 334 334- 321-1390. Anything on your mind if you want to call in and talk baseball and what Lindsey Crosby had to say on hour number one or whatever we're talking about here in hour number two. Phone lines are open for about 30 minutes before Chris Gordy will join us. So give us a call. 334-321-1390. You can also tweet at us at ESPN1067 on Twitter. You can comment, uh, tweet us your comments, questions, concerns on there as well. But Carter, let's jump into this a little bit with the portal opening up on Saturday for Auburn. This seems to be the there for college football in general this seems to be the biggest conversation is yeah. the separation of high school recruiting right now for Auburn which seems to be on absolute fire for Hugh Freeze and this staff versus the transfer portal and what we might see over the next couple of weeks because it opens up on this Saturday April 15th and it closes on April 30th of course they moved that up from the May 1st to May 15th window it's now April 15th to April 30th and I think it's important to bring up this point again about how the transfer for portal is in my opinion in football 
it is, and this goes back to our conversation yesterday of the difference between college basketball and college football, the transfer portal, in my opinion, for college football and for Auburn should be to make your team better and improve, but do not bank on building your entire roster around the transfer portal. I just don't think that's a long-term successful strategy in today's game. As of right now. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you there because it's there's only one program out there uh, really, I guess, two that we've seen try to build a program off transfer portal in football. One of them uh, was Jake Spavadol at Texas State, which is a really interesting decision. He had one class where he, I think he signed one high school player. That's so and crazy. The other, I think, 23, 24 were transfers. The issue with that is, I don't know if you know this, Jacob. The state of Texas is rather um, passionate about high school football. Yeah, just a little bit. And when you don't take any high school players, you make a lot of people angry. So I and we saw that fail. He's been fired. He's not there anymore. Uh, or at least I think I think he's been fired. I'm pretty sure he's the offensive coordinator um, somewhere that we've talked about recently. Uh, but so you have. Yeah, he's the offensive coordinator at Cal, so Auburn's going to see Jake Spavadol uh, here about week that? two of this next season. How about that? So we saw it fail there. The other person that we have seen talk about this is Deion Sanders. And I'm trying to recall exactly how he he laid it out, but he wants to build his team on vast majority grad transfers and transfers and then some high school guys. I'm not sure how sustainable that is. I think the transfer portal should be used, like kind of like you said, to address immediate needs, to address... Uh, I think you can go get a multi-year guy if you like him a lot uh, or if he wants to come back home, things didn't pan out where he, where he was, uh, and you think you can develop him into a quality player. Yes, but I think the majority is... Hey, we need somebody to walk in this building right now and take a starting role. You generally see transfers. They're transferring to play almost immediately. And then when you look at, I think you for a new staff, it's very, very important to use the portal to, quote, portal up, to get better in a hurry, and then you backfill behind in the recruiting classes. So, I mean, for these first couple of years, Hugh Freeze is going to hit the transfer portal hard. Then you're going to see the high school recruiting continue to pick up, pick up, pick up until it's vast majority high school recruiting on his roster. Part of me does wonder if you start to see more schools bank on transfer portal quarterbacks year in and year out, though. Which could absolutely happen. And, I, and I'm confident that Hugh Freeze will have that mindset of, okay, this is year one. Yes, he has hit the recruiting trail very hard. Uh, we had a really good conversation yesterday about how this staff is just, they were behind in 2024. And so you have to use the portal to kind of make up for that before you can get your feet under you. But with Deion Sanders, could that also be his strategy to where in this first year as the head coach at Colorado, could he just be using the transfer portal? Because he talked about how, and look, Colorado is one of the worst teams in college football there wasn't a whole lot of talent on that roster. And so 
maybe he's doing this in the first couple of years so he can build the name of what Colorado football could be under him, and then you could start pulling some high school recruits, or maybe he's just dead set on, look, high school recruiting to the University of Colorado is just not all that great. I'm going to have to build through the transfer portal, and maybe that is, and I think another guy that's tried to do that on a really big scale, not to that extent, but on the bigger program, is Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Yes, 100% he has as well. By the way, Colorado, before this second transfer portal window, do you know how many transfers they have? Auburn. It's a lot. For example, Auburn under Hugh Freeze has a lot with 12 right now. There are 12 transfers, grad transfers, whatever it may be, that have come into Auburn's program. Do you know how many Colorado has at this point in time. It's an astronomical number. I don't know what it is, but I know it's a lot. 25. Jeez. 25. That's an entire recruiting class. That, that's unbelievable. I don't think we've seen anything like that. Now, he had a quote back on January. Back in, in January, I think uh, he said he wants to build Colorado's roster to be 80% transfers. I he just don't a, know if that's sustainable. 40-40-20 model where I think he wants 40% of the roster to be grad transfers, 40% of the roster to be transfers, uh, just normal undergrad transfers, and then 20% of the roster to be high schoolers. I get the grad transfer idea because you want to go after guys that are experienced who have been playing the game of college football for at least four years and know what they're doing at the biggest scale. I get that and at the biggest stage. I get that. I just don't know if that number and those numbers are sustainable. 40, 40, and 20. I just don't know if you can do you pull know, that. Do you know how many transfers that would mean on an 85-man scholarship roster? 68. You'd have 68 transfers on your roster at any given moment if he successfully does it exactly like that. And to reference yesterday's show again, we had this conversation of... If a guy goes in today's game of college football, in today's world of college athletics, and it may have been Terry that called in to talk to us about this yesterday, if a guy goes to a school and doesn't like it in one year or doesn't play enough in that year or doesn't like that coach in one year, he's gone. He's not going to hang around. and He's not going to stay. And so the fact that Deion Sanders in Colorado, that's his plan is to bring in, you said, 60-plus transfers if those numbers are correct, if that's what he does with the 40-40-20 model. He has 42 new players coming in this year, and 17 of them are high schoolers, 25 of them are transfers. That's just not... Have not even opened the portal for the second time. Wow. That's just not sustainable, I don't think. I just don't think you can use the portal year in and year out in what today's game is and expect to be a successful football program because given you talked about they've brought in 25 guys already those some of those guys that are there are going to leave and think about if three years from now he's going to bring in so many players but at the same time there are going to be tons that leave because they're like okay I actually don't like playing for this guy or I didn't play enough or I don't like my role whatever it may be you're going to see so much turnover in a roster like that, and if another school picks up that that mindset, you are going to see so much turnover. I just don't think you're going to be able to build a legitimate program year in and year out. Here's a question. If he really wants to build a roster like that, so the 40% grad transfer guys, you assume that they have one, maybe two years left, so like 
they're not going to go anywhere once they transfer in. You're 40% undergrad transfers. Is it possible that this is a little bit of a of a kind of hedge move of if I got a guy who went to went through a freshman year somewhere else and then transfers in, well, he's stuck with me for two years at least until he graduates, maybe even three, depending on where he is in his academic course load. I mean, you could be locking kids into your roster for at least a couple years. I don't know. I just I I wonder I wonder if that thought has crossed Deion Sanders' mind because his twenty percent guys from high school, they come in, they don't enjoy year one, they could be out the door. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and that's just where we are. And so maybe that is part of his strategy. And maybe that is something he's taken into consideration, but hasn't really made that a light to the media and and these players because it's not really a a positive way to look at it, but it is a strategic mindset but luckily I don't think Hugh Freeze and Auburn have that mindset because they have hit the recruiting trail extremely hard and and again I just don't think that's a a successful way to run a football program in today's world but that's why Deion's getting paid millions and I'm getting here I'm getting paid not millions to sit here and talk about Deion Sanders but with Hugh Freeze and Auburn it seems like there's a pretty good balance as of right now and in year one Carter you bring it up is it is important to go and hit the portal, especially in this window coming up, because so many guys are going to be in the portal after spring practice, and unfortunately, it's still during spring practice, but so many guys are going to enter the portal that Auburn has a chance to go after and mm-hmm. boost their program and catch up to everybody else in the SEC because of how far behind they were in recruiting, in the transfer portal, and the guys on the current roster, thanks to Brian Harson and the former staff. I think when it's all said and done, this Hugh Freeze first transfer portal class will be right around 2021 players they're at 12 right now I think Auburn goes and gets eight or nine more guys that's what I see happening um and I tell you what I don't think I don't think right now people realize just how I don't think it's sunk in just how active Auburn's about to be in the portal in this May this April period rather because it used to be the May period mm-hmm. uh, but the fact that I think you're going to see a lot of names very quickly into the portal, um, and I think you're going to see Auburn be aggressive because there are places where Auburn can improve the roster. We've talked about it. Auburn's going to go get at least one quarterback, at least one wide receiver, more than likely one offensive lineman, probably. In it. Actually, I think, I think they might be going to get a tackle. I think they might be going to get a tackle, which will be really interesting uh, to see where they go to get that, to convince somebody to walk into that offensive line room. and Which and, is actually competitive. Yes, but the I think there is significant worry about depth. I think, especially the offensive line, it's such a physically demanding position. Mm-hmm. Depth is a worry right now because past, you, we, we feel good about what, the top six seven guys the you got dylan wade jeremiah wright avery jones connor lou tate johnson maybe cam stutz then you've got gunner Britton, and then isavian miller outside of that group i'm not sure how many guys you feel confident rolling out there in the fall of 2023 that's why i think auburn's gonna go try to add at least one offensive lineman and then they're going to go get a jack. They have to go get a jack, especially because 
part of, part of me does still wonder what is going to happen with Dylan Brooks, a guy who's been on this roster, was very highly rated coming out of high school, was a big deal when the Tennessee stuff popped off, and we and you saw this Auburn staff able to land him. Credit to Nick Eason and the job that he did there. But it just has not panned out to this point. Part of that's been I don't think he's done a great job adding weight. And he just might be one of those body types where it's just difficult to do. Uh, I think you I don't think you're gonna see a linebacker. Maybe. I don't think you're gonna see a corner because I think you're pretty good there. I think you're, you're pretty set back there. You're four deep at corner, and that's not even counting Keontae Scott at nickel, who I think is going to be an absolute stud for Auburn this fall. Safety's where I could see at least one more addition. You add all of it up, it's not that difficult. It's not that hard to get to eight, nine guys. Yeah. Which doesn't include the guys that are going to leave because again, you're going to see some guys hit the portal. Yes. You're 100%. you're going to see guys leave. And and it's not it's not a bad thing. And we've had this discussion numerous times on you're going to see some we know some of the guys that are probably going to enter the portal. There may be a name or two that you're like, okay, that kind of stinks, but it is what it is. It's up to Hugh Freeze and this staff to go and fill the holes that they need to, replace the guys that leave, and just make this roster as good as possible as you exit the spring and get into summer in preparation for the fall. 334-321-1390 is the number to get through to us. We'll take our first break here in hour number one. We'll talk more recruiting and transfer portal with Auburn football and the SEC when we come back. And then, coming up in just about 10 minutes, Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, will Join us to talk the biggest storylines around the Southeastern Conference. Stay tuned. That's all coming up here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. A few more minutes before we have uh, Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. He'll join us coming up at 3.30 to talk the biggest storylines around the Southeastern Conference. We'll get his thoughts on some of the spring games that have already taken place uh, in the SEC, including Auburn and what uh, he did or didn't see from the uh, 20-minute spring game that was on Saturday and get some thoughts on the upcoming spring games and, of course, the transfer portal window that opens up on Saturday. But that'll be in a couple of minutes. Chris Gordy, again, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. But, Carter, you and I have been talking about this transfer portal window and and really the transfer portal versus high school recruiting and I mean we've just seen an effort that is unmatched I feel like with Hugh Freeze and this staff when it comes to high school recruiting and uh, I recommend that if you don't follow Christian Clemente uh, our recruiting guru friend of the program this guy kills it every single day doing what he does and he has all the best notes on on Auburn football high school recruiting and it's just wild to see the list of guys that Auburn has talked to, offered to, that have been at Auburn, that are interested in Auburn. I mean, it's, it is just an astronomical number. It's unbelievable to yes. see the amount of guys that are interested and have heard from Auburn and the fact that Auburn actually knows who they are. Yeah, 100%. And I, when I look at what's taking place, I think we know that um – Martavius Collins, the tight end, the athlete tight end, uh, former Alabama commit. 
He announced today that he will be committing tomorrow. I think if you follow the visits and everything, Auburn should feel pretty good about that. And then at that point, it's first domino to fall in a while. Do we see more coming? Because it feels, I compared it yesterday, it's like pressure building up at a dam. I think Martavius Collins might be the crack, and then you might see another crack and another one, and then you might see all of a sudden it all come rushing through and this class just take off. And it's that snowball effect, right? And that's all. sometimes that's all it takes is for one guy to commit to a school and then everybody else that is maybe on the fence or still trying to decide if that's truly what they want to do, then they're like, oh, he's going there? He jumped on board? Okay, maybe it is a good idea for me to go there as well. And this would be uh, – Auburn's still looking for their first commit since the spring game. And it was a low expectation but a possible expectation that Auburn would get a commitment from over the weekend. But they're still looking for their first commit since the spring game on Saturday. But uh, I'm with you, man. I, I think that if Auburn – once they get that first one here in this stretch – I think you're going to see some really, really big, big names commit to Hugh Freeze and this entire staff and Auburn football because they've all had great things to say. And it's not just talk. It's not, oh, yeah, I had a pretty good visit. You know, they're nice down there and, and whatever. No, it's like, I loved it. I loved my trip there. Hugh Freeze is awesome. I hear from this guy once a week. Their facilities are are just top notch. It feels like home, like the, the Auburn family is real. Like These are all things that these players are saying when they come to Auburn and it's not just all talk it's not fake and they truly are loving their time here and the fact that you get guys to come here for days at a time and come here three four five six different times you got to be doing something right and I think Auburn is and again Carter I'm with you I think once you see that first and second guy commit you're going to see this thing snowball in a good way as this thing gets going down the hill, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually it's going to get to the point where it can't be stopped. And I think Hugh Freeze and, and Auburn, this staff, just deserve all the credit in the world for knowing what it takes to be a successful recruiter. And they're managing it really well, and they're managing the portal really well. Also, with that opening up on Saturday, that's another free-for-all. And think about what it takes to be a college coach now. You have to handle high school recruits and reach out to them and make sure they know who you are because you're still trying to get the biggest names in the sport while also having to deal with the transfer portal that opens up in two days and try to get the biggest names in the sport right now. I mean, it's unbelievable what they have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. I mean, you're going to see you're going to see some really um, I think some dual actions here. You're going to see combination with this transfer portal you're going to see uh them recruiting guys on the roster to stay that may be a little disgruntled by where they stand after the fall or after the spring but but maybe they feel like they could be a key part of this roster moving forward in 23 and 24 you're gonna see some of that but you're also gonna see some hey maybe you should look elsewhere and i think i think you look at guys like tj finley um, maybe some of the the guys down the totem bowl who've been here for a long time in the tight end room or the offensive line room, maybe you see some of them kind of get nudged to, hey, 
you may not get up that many snaps this year. If you want to play, you may need to go somewhere else. Or we don't really see you in the plans for the offense or something like that. And then at the same time, you're going to see them very active in the portal. You're going to see them looking for quarterbacks. Things haven't broken their way for quarterbacks so far. They're going to go find one. And I think you can pretty much bank on that. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, coming up when we come back. Stay tuned. He's always a great interview. He always has a few things to say. You don't want to miss it. Coming up. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goetz, Carter Bird with you on the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Well, welcoming in our typical Thursday guest, it is Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. Chris, you've been joining me for, uh, it's been over a year now, man, that you've been with us on the show, and it's always a pleasure to have you on every single Thursday, man. Yeah, man, good to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. And, uh this is a really busy for being a slow time of spring. It's a busy time for me because I spent uh, all last weekend watching Auburn and Vandy spring games, and then this weekend uh, we got a whole slate on Saturday. We got Florida's tonight. I'll be watching, and then luckily only two more next week with Alabama and LSU, and then we'll be full into the summer months, and uh, we could start list season and all that. But yeah, it was uh, despite the rainy conditions, I thought uh, we we had some good takeaways from Auburn spring game. Well, let's get into that a little bit, Auburn. And you said you spent all weekend watching it. It was only like a forty-minute game, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I should say it was. It was more so like I. Here's what I originally what, what happened was I was originally I pulled it up on the TV and it was just going to kind of be in the background. And I was just going to kind of observe. And within the first minute, I'd already grabbed my my pen and notepad and was taking notes diligently. And I didn't want to do that. But I got suckered into doing it for that end, Bandy. So uh, I, I can't help it. I'm a little bit of a football nerd. Well, that's okay. That's why we bring you on. Well, what did you see from Auburn's spring game? What were some of those notes you took down in that notebook? Because uh, there weren't a lot of great things, I think. The weather had a lot to do with that here in Auburn on Saturday. But what did you see in Auburn's spring game? Yeah, that was the first note. I mean, it sucks, you know, with where they are with the quarterbacks because I thought this was one of those times where you really wanted to see the quarterbacks throw and see if anybody catches your eye or, or you know, um, anything like that. And it just, it was awful playing conditions. I mean, you saw right out of the, right out of the gate. I mean, Ashford and, and TJ Finley, um, you know, even some of the design throws, there was just, they couldn't, you know, Finley puts it right in the guy's hands and he drops it. So it was just not ideal. And so uh, you really can't take much away from the quarterbacks other than, Ashford looked comfortable running the system, you know, in that, you know, that were the design quarterback runs or, you know, the, the times where, you know, he runs the zone read and tucks, you know, keeps it and runs. Like, obviously, but, but we know Robbie Ashford's good at that anyway. So, I, like I said, we didn't really learn much than that. But, I, you know, the, even the broadcaster said he does look comfortable running this offense and running the off-tempo, so there was that. Uh, you know, Finley, I thought, showed a little bit more uh, running ability than I think we, we – you know, prior thought, um, you know, I would never characterize him as mobile, but I liked him tucking and running it a couple times. Um, still looking for the easy throws. Like, why can't TJ at this point in his career just make the simple throws across the middle and, you know, to the flat? So I'm a little frustrated with that. But I thought the run game, obviously, with the weather being what it was, 
really showed up and showed out. I thought Sean Jackson was very impressive, this big bowling ball guy who what, played mostly special teams last year. I thought I thought he stood out. I thought Demory Alston stood out. I think he's going to be really good. Um, you know, look, I think Jarquez Hunter is going to start at running back, but in my opinion, I just, like, from what I've seen from him, I think Hunter is a complimentary back. I don't think he's a workhorse. And, you know, somebody was asking me that the other day. Is he a guy that could be a, a Tank Bigsby and, and tote this rock 20 times a game? And I said, no, I, I think I think Auburn's bet, best bet is to go running back by committee this year and rotate all their backs because I think they are, they're all kind of special in their own right and all kind of do their own thing. We know how good Jarquez Hunter is catching the ball out of the backfield and he can run a – you know, run a wheel route like nobody's business. But, man, Sean Jackson comes through like a big bowling ball, just, you know, running it over guys. And so I like what we saw from the running backs. And Brian Batia as well looked pretty good. So I, I think uh, I think they've got a pretty good stable of backs. I thought the offensive line looked pretty good. I think Gunnar Britton had a false start at one point. But outside of that, I think O-line's good. I think the run game's good. I even think the receivers show a little promise. Uh, and I think the defense looks pretty good. It's all It all comes down to that quarterback thing. If they could just figure out the quarterback, I think Auburn sets up to be a pretty good team this year. So with that in mind, with the three guys you saw on Saturday, is Auburn starting quarterback in 23 currently on the roster, or do you see them going out and finding somebody in this transfer portal period that starts here in a few days? I'll put it this way. Auburn is going to bring in a quarterback through the transfer portal, we will know throughout the month, the month of May, June, and July, we'll, we'll start to learn if that guy is good enough to beat out the guys who are currently on the roster. And if anything, does that guy coming in just push Robbie Ashford to take his game to the next level? I've talked about this all offseason. You know, we saw it at LSU last year. Miles Brennan was supposed to be the starter last spring for LSU. They bring in uh, Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. And, oh, by the way, when we get to the fall, Jaden Daniels is now quarterback one. Miles Brennan retired from football. And, uh, you know, all the other guys got Garrett Nussmeyer. He became second string and so on and so forth. And so it's not crazy to say that Auburn's future quarterback or, you know, the quarterback for the fall is on somebody else's roster right now. But, again, like, I don't want to put the pressure on that kid to come in and say, hey, you need to be the starter. Look at what Lane Kevin just did at Ole Miss. I mean, Jackson Dart is fine. But he said, i got to push him to the next level. They went and brought in Spencer Sanders, who was all Big 12, you know, as a full-time starter the last three years at Oklahoma State. They bring him into to Ole Miss, and guess what we're seeing? Jackson Dart has stepped his game up. Lane Kiffin was bragging on him the other day, saying he's thrown only one interception this whole spring. Like, Jackson Dart looks the part and, and looks like a stud. And all it took was bringing in another stud to push him. And I think that's what Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery and Auburn are looking at is, look, if we had to start a game tomorrow, we would feel comfortable with Robbie Ashard. But why don't? Why not? Why don't we bring in somebody to push him and make him perform at a higher level? And I think that's what they're going to do. Speaking with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, joining us here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Chris, it's a busy time with high school recruiting. We know Hugh Freeze and this staff have been uh, just absolutely killing it on the recruiting trail. Just so many big names that were on campus this past weekend for A-Day. And then the transfer portal opening up for college football this coming Saturday it's just a crazy time in college football. So what have you seen from Auburn in particular when it comes to recruiting in the transfer portal and then other big programs maybe making some noise around the SEC? Well, I think what they were able to do either through recruiting or through the transfer portal this offseason alone, I mean, we saw it in the trenches 
uh, immediately in the, in the spring game this past weekend, both on the offensive and defensive line. I think there's going to be a lot of new faces that are going to contribute and contribute, contribute a lot to this team uh, this year. Um, is it Nasili Kite, Nasili Kite, whatever the, the linebacker is? I think he's going to be a big-time playmaker for them. Uh, obviously, DJ James, who came in from Oregon, I think he's got you know, a lot of uh, a hype around him. I think he's going to be very good this year for Auburn. But, yeah, I talked with a buddy of mine who was there over the weekend. He said, man, it, it's crazy. Despite all the awful weather and playing conditions, it was rainy, it was cold, it was miserable at the spring game. He said Auburn absolutely showed out, brought out, brought out a ton of recruits and impressed them and wind them and dined them and all that. So, um, again, you would think, you know, something like that with the playing conditions would turn a lot of people off. Eh, I don't want to go there. It's cold and it's rainy and it's wet. But they did a great job of, of still making it a, a very productive weekend and bringing a lot of recruits and, uh, and uh, putting on a show for them. And so, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, they, they continue to recruit at a high level and um, – you know, continue to attract people through the transfer portal. And like we just said, they're not done. I mean, this transfer portal is going to open up here real soon once again. And I think you're going to see, uh, I think you're going to see some more movement of people heading to the plane. When you, when you talk about Hugh Freeze and his ability to get these recruits on campus, I think this past weekend there were eight or nine five stars in the 24 and 25 classes and countless four stars, uh, just blue chip recruits everywhere. What, given what he's done to this point, what would be your expectations if you were an Auburn fan for this twenty-four recruiting class? Uh, I mean, I think it's got to be the top ten, right? I mean, I think that's the the expectation uh, at a minimum is is put together a top ten or class and, and and let's keep building and and you know we've seen what happens and I don't want to put it pull them to the extreme of. Uh, Alabama and Georgia, but even say like an LSU that's typically always top ten recruiting classes. Like you, you get to see the results when you stack top ten recruiting class on top ten recruiting class on top ten recruiting class. By year three, that talent is showing up and showing out, and you can really see the difference. And you know, I think what we saw with with Georgia these last two years, man, the depth has just been out of this world. It's not just the four or five star talent, but you know, when that four-star defensive end becomes a stud and he moves on, there's another four- or five-star behind him coming in. And, and we saw that Georgia in the national championship game. That was what was crazy was, like, you know, on that defensive line, okay, you had Jalen Carter, you had all these pieces that came through, like, through the years, like Jordan Davis and all these other guys, the Kobe Beans. But they had freshman wide receiver, or freshman linebackers and defensive ends getting sacked late by game against TCU. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, the depth really just shows out. So that's where I think Hugh Freeze is looking at is, is look, it's great to kill it in recruiting, uh, and hit the ground running immediately in year one. And I think fans, for the most part, are tempering expectations in year one. It's going to take a little time to grow this thing. But, man, if he gets, if he has, let's say, top, you know, number seven or number eight best recruiting class in 2024, and then you do it again in 2025, yeah, I think Auburn's really, this, this rebuild is really kicked in, and they'll be off and running. Yeah, you talk about Georgia like that. It's very Alabama-esque, right? That's what a lot of people would talk about when Alabama, when they would you know, either lose a five-star linebacker to the NFL draft or, or even entry at times. Well, what did they do? Well, they just turned to the bench and put another five-star in, and that's what you're seeing over at Georgia. We're talking with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast here on On the Line. Chris, what's going on around the SEC in football? You mentioned some spring games have already concluded. You've got some more coming up, and it's unfortunate that some teams are still 
still pra- practicing in the spring with the portal opening up on Saturday. But what can you tell us about what's going on around the SEC this spring? Yeah, I like what I saw from Vandy last weekend. I don't know how many people actually watched Vandy's spring game. I, I got to think not many people were interested in it. But what stood out to me is Clark Lee is recruiting well, man. I mean, you know, Vandy was really lacking talent, and they got a lot of you know, a lot of guys who were three stars, a couple four stars in the mix. But that's a much improved football team, and particularly you're seeing it on the O line, the D line, the secondary. They got some young guys, some pretty good receivers. So like. I mentioned that just to say I don't think Vandy's the doormat like you know that's going to go two and ten you know like they were for a couple of years and I know they snuck up last year and they beat Kentucky and they beat Florida I think you're going to see more of that from Vandy this year I think they're going to sneak up on a couple of people I would say especially the way their schedule sets up I think their non-conference games are very winnable they get Hawaii in week zero again but I think they play Kentucky and Mizzou in those first six games. Those are winnable games now for Vanderbilt. So I just putting people on alert. Like Vandy, they, they may not they're they're not going to win the East, and you know that their goal may just be to get to six and six and get bowl eligible. But I'm just telling you, Vandy is improved, and they're not going to be that easy. Oh, it's just going to be fifty six nothing and and whatever. Let's fetch <laughs> some guys in and get out of here. I think they're going to put up a fight. But tonight's going to be interesting with Florida. I'm I'm interested to see. I you know everything points to Graham Mertz starter there but I had somebody in Gainesville tell me don't count out Jack Miller the Ohio State transfer we saw him start the bowl game and it was miserable but everything I was told was look they had nothing in that bowl game they had so many opt-outs the game plan was atrocious he was just set up to fail and you can't take anything away from the bowl game performance but Jack Miller is a guy to watch he's got all the tools he's very capable and you know Graham Mertz was a starter in Wisconsin he was very productive but like at the end of the day he was just good. He wasn't great. So, you know, if that's what Florida's hoping to, to bring in and like, hey, let's bring in a Big Ten quarterback and he's just going to be mediocre to average, like, I, I just feel like Billy Napier of Florida should have higher aspirations than that. So, curious to see what the quarterbacks look like for Florida tonight. I know their run game is going to be really good. Um, you know, if you bring back ATN and, and Johnson, I think those guys are really, really good. Uh, what does the defense look like for Florida? That's a big one, too. I mean, they were atrocious last year. Uh, Anthony Richardson was actually pretty good when you go back and look at the numbers. If they had a, an average defense at Florida last year, they would have had at least seven or eight wins. Uh, and then this weekend, I'm looking at you know Tennessee. I want of Hendon Hooker now. Um, you know, and, and really, it's just the quarterbacks. Georgia. You know, we want to see Carson back. Is he going to be the guy? Is he solidifying himself over Brock Vandergriff? Uh, Arkansas. I'm curious to see what their scheme looks like with Dan Enos now as the OC. Uh, A&M will get to see, you know, Saturday night, what does the Bobby Petrino effect look like on their offense. So just a lot of questions really for me surrounding new OCs and DCs and either quarterback battles or new quarterbacks and how they settle in. Chris, uh, I guess this weekend will be the halfway point of SEC baseball season. What are your thoughts about how it's gone so far? And kind of secondary question here. Will this Auburn pitching staff stop walking at least 10 guys every single game at some point this year? <laughs> Man, they need to clean it up. And, and this is a series to get it done against Alabama. Um, you know, two teams that are kind of, I guess you would say, not, not meeting expectations or, you know, not as good as maybe we thought they could be this year. But this is one where I think Auburn needs to take care of business. Uh, to me, the storyline so far of the SEC baseball season is the East is much better than the West. I mean, Kentucky is really – 
uh, exceeded a lot of our expectations. And I'm curious to see what they do. They're going into Baton Rouge starting tonight against top-ranked LSU. And, uh, you know, if, if Kentucky can go into Baton Rouge and take two out of three against LSU, I think that's just going to send shockwaves throughout the conference. And, man, Kentucky is the real deal. Um, you know, LSU went and just laid a, you know, laid a turd up there in South Carolina over the weekend. They, they lose game one. Uh, Paul Steen's the best pitcher in the country. You know, they actually got a couple runs scored off of him, and then they go into a weather delay, and, you know, he doesn't come back in. They were fortunate to come back and win game two of that series. You know, they were losing big, and they were able to come back. And then, of course, the weather, you know, the, it, it delayed and delayed, and then they eventually just had to call it and say that they couldn't play a game three. So South Carolina, I know it's happy to at least split a two-game series with LSU, but I don't know, man. I feel like if they'd have gotten a third one out of there, South Carolina could have won game three convincingly, and I think LSU would have dropped out of that number one spot. So uh, impressed by South Carolina, impressed by Kentucky. Vanderbilt is the real deal. Florida looks pretty good. Uh, Tennessee, man, they, they've been struggling, and, and they're super talented. They're as, as talented as anybody out there. So, uh, you know, in the West, it just feels like it's probably just LSU and Arkansas right now, and I don't know if anybody else is uh, is going to get off the mat here. But that's kind of my general takeaway, and we'll see how this thing plays out this weekend. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. He joins us every Thursday here on On The Line, here on ESPN 106.7. Chris, we appreciate you every single week, man. I tell you that, but I really do appreciate you and your time. Uh, you've been with me for a long time, and we appreciate you every single week. You always have fantastic things to say. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and all your great work. Yeah, Locked On SEC, wherever you get your podcast. The episode up today, we're previewing the Florida Spring Game tonight. Tomorrow's episode, we'll, we'll preview Tennessee's. And keep an eye on the podcast scheduled to join us next week. A current Auburn quarterback set to join the show. So keep an eye out for that next week. All right. Little tease there for Locked On SEC. Chris, have a good weekend. We'll talk to you next week. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. That is Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. Again, he joins us every Thursday at 3.30 right here on ESPN 106.7. I was going to tell him to tell Sawyer Pate. We said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you go again. Chris Gordy, he hosts the Locked On SEC podcast. Go check it out. He does a fantastic job. And next week, apparently having an Auburn quarterback on the show. So go check that out as we take our final break here. We'll wrap it up here on the Thursday edition of On the Line when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line, big thank you to Chris Gordy, host of the Locked Out SEC podcast. Again, he joins us uh, every Thursday here at 3.30 on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. He's been coming on uh, for a long time, and we appreciate him every single week. A hot take about Jarquez Hunter. He said he is not a... He's not the... Uh, he's, he's a complimentary back, yes. he thinks. He doesn't think he's a workhorse. How about that? Yeah, and that's that's just... I'm a little shocked by that because, honestly, I think over the last couple of years, it's a growing... There's a growing contingent of the Auburn fan base that has said that Jarquez Hunter was better than Tank Bigsby, and Jarquez Hunter is going to have a chance to prove that this mm-hmm. year. And I go back to... Hugh Freeze's comments, what, two weeks ago, where he said Jarquez Hunter is the best back I've ever coached, which... That's not a light statement. Like, hmm. that is massive. I think Jarquez Hunter's every bit capable of, if you had a Gus Malzahn mindset of running the lead back into the ground, 
of having a 1,400-yard type of year. Which Chris backed up his statement by saying that he believes Auburn should cycle through their which backs. Is, which is the way it should always happen. Exactly. Exactly. And Auburn is good enough in the running back room right now to do that. And I believe that's what they will do. It's what should be done. And I think that's that's what will make Auburn the most successful this fall. But, hey, an update really quick before we get out of here. Uh, Auburn High Baseball on 96.3 W. Lee. Those games have been pushed to tomorrow. Uh, Scott Bagwell was over there and said it was an absolute flood at Central Phoenix City. So those games have been pushed to tomorrow at 4 o'clock on 96.3 W. Lee. And so uh, with that, uh, again, those are moved to tomorrow. But, yeah, Chris Gordy with a hot take coming out uh, as we get out of today's show that Jarquez is not, uh, he said, is your complimentary back. So we'll see if Auburn fans agree with that. Maybe we'll have something go out on socials about that and try to get some engagement as well. But if you missed any of today's show, just had Chris Gordy on. Also had Lindsey Crosby on back in hour number one. We talked a lot of baseball with the Braves and, and, and Auburn as well. And so if you missed any of today's show, go and catch up with the podcast right after this at ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. But we're out of time here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Come back tomorrow, though, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 1067. We'll wrap up the week and preview what should be a crazy transfer portal window that opens on Saturday. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.